0: Welcome to Pushback, I'm Aaron Maté. My colleagues at the Gray Zone, Max Blumenthal and Ben Norton, were recently in Nicaragua for the 40th anniversary of the Sandinista revolution.
1: We're here at Managua's Plaza Central, where you can see behind me hundreds of thousands of people gathered to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the Sandinista Front's victory over the dictator Anastasio Somoza in 1979 and the victory of the Sandinista party and the elected government over a U.S.-backed coup last year.
0: Joining me still is Max Blumenthal. He is a senior editor at The Grey Zone, author of The Management of Savagery. Welcome, Max. You went back to Nicaragua recently. You were there a year ago covering the uh, U.S.-backed coup. Talk to us about what you saw. Well, when I arrived a year ago in
1: Nicaragua it was actually on a day before uh, the anniversary that is observed every year in the central plaza in Managua, Plaza de, de la Fe, um, where Sandinistas from around the country come out and you know celebrate the uh, July 19th anniversary of the overthrow of the US-backed dictator, Anastasio Somoza, Last year was an interesting, um, pretty remarkable uh, event because uh, many Sandinistas beforehand were not even sure anyone would show up. Uh, People from outside Managua were unable to come because of the fear that their caravans of buses would be attacked by the opposition. They had just overcome a violent coup in which many Sandinistas were killed, were tortured, were kidnapped. Other uh, their businesses and homes had been burned, um, completely ignored by U.S. media, and, um, what I saw last year was, what uh, what you could call a small turnout because it was Managua only. But pretty much anyone who supported the Sandinista Front in the Managua area showed up, and they it was a the celebration of the defeat of a U.S.-backed coup. This year. Uh, there might have been half a million people, which is a substantial portion of Nicaragua's population in that square. It was absolutely massive. And so I remember last year being able to walk around in the plaza and talk to different people. There was absolutely no space to move this year. Um, It was just, I've never seen anything larger than that, uh, that I can remember in recent memory. And really puts the lie to this idea that Daniel Ortega um, is a dictator who has no popular base, who's oppressing his own people. Um, he may have a much larger and more enthusiastic base than uh, Donald Trump or any democratic candidate um, that I can think of. It was just really unbelievable. And when you when I was there, I actually got to meet a number of iconic figures who participated in the Sandinista revolution. Uh, the widow of Thomas Borges, who was one of the uh, founders of the Sandinista Front and helped create the Nicaraguan police force. Um, uh, um, Carlos Fonseca Jr., whose father, Carlos Fonseca, was another founder of the Sandinista Front and who was murdered by um, Sandinos, by um, Somoza's men a, year, a few years before the 79 revolution. Um, I met uh, Comandante Cerro. Um, Eden Pastora, who was one of the leading, uh, I, I guess you could call him general or commander um, during the armed struggle that the Sandinista Front waged in the '70s, and he switched sides to the Contras and is now back in the Sandinista fray. And so it really shows that a lot of the key figures are still with the Sandinistas, even though you you hear, um, you know. About all of these Sandinista figures who've turned against Ortega, and they get a lot of airtime and get to, um, they get, you know, a lot of a big platform in Western intelligentsia to complain about the government. But for the most part, you know, the icons of the revolution, those who are living or those who bear their legacy, have stuck with uh, the revolution. And Edén Pastora, you know, remains a critic of the government. But he said that it's a while it it might be you know legless and with one eye it's a revolution nonetheless uh so you know meeting the people at the top was remarkable but then going out into the streets after the celebration and talking to grassroots sandinistas especially young people the sandinista youth um, i thought was something that every um everyone who's watching the U.S. election closely, the Democratic primary, um, particularly people who support Bernie Sanders because he wants to implement uh, free college, Uh, he wants to wipe out student debt because he wants to provide universal health care and Medicare for all. Um, They should know that Nicaragua, because of the Sandinistas, in the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, has all of these things for the most part. Um, and this is something that young people emphasize to me. They, you know, and their, their political education is just at an extremely high level. Um, you know, we can go to a clip of maybe one of the interviews here.
0: Bueno, eh, este gobierno no ha dado a los jóvenes más que todo la gracia y el derecho de restituir cada uno en la educación, también en en el ámbito de la salud, en el ámbito también de el sector educativo.
1: El esta nueva etapa de la revolución nos ha enseñado que tenemos un líder que se preocupa por los pobres. Por eso hoy la juventud no vivimos en 1979, pero estamos viviendo esta etapa desde el 2007 hasta la fecha, donde se le ha entregado salud gratuita, educación gratuita, plan techo a cada una de las familias igual a los más protegidos familias ni caravanas. You know what you heard there is a young person explaining why they want to fight to defend uh, their government and their revolution as part of the movement behind that government. And it's because they now have a future to have an education and to have health care. Actually, while I was there, I had to get stitches for an injury and I got to experience the healthcare system. And I didn't have to pay a cent. I went to a first class uh, emergency room that hadn't been there during the sort of technocratic neoliberal um, US pro-U.S. government that preceded Ortega. And there was a pharmacy in the emergency room. There was first-class equipment. There were doctors who were Nicaraguan but had been trained in Cuba. And I, you know, I never had a better experience um, at a hospital in my life. I was stunned when they said, everything's free here. What are you asking to pay for? So this is uh, actually democratic socialism in action. And it's, Uh, There there are many Americans who went in the 1980s to help the Sandinistas defend their revolution, Um, but I feel like the support on the left is waning because of a disinformation campaign. I would just encourage people to go to Nicaragua and see what I saw, um, or at least to listen to the people in this video, especially the young people, explain why they were out in the plaza.
0: Well, part of the problem, as you pointed out, is, is we've been presented with such a distorted picture here in the West. I mean, thinking back to a year ago, what, what we heard in the media was that there was a people's uprising against this tyrant Ortega. And that is how the you know, corporate media in the U.S. and even some progressive media as well presented it to us. You went there, though, Max, and it was interesting to compare your reporting to what we saw because you went into places, you went into schools that had been taken over by uh, protesters. You painted such a different picture from what we were used to seeing um, a year ago when when this was going on.
1: Yeah, I think I was the first reporter who got into UNAN, which is a public university, a free public university that serves, serves students from all over Nicaragua and was you know part of the legacy of Carlos Fonseca, um, who had this idea to defer 6% from the defense budget into education. Um, this school had been ransacked after it was taken over by opposition students, uh, most of whom came from outside, and many of whom were not even students. Many were just common criminals. Um, and I, you know was shocked by what I saw on campus. Uh, a preschool, a daycare center which provided free daycare for the children of the staff, was torched, It was burned to the ground. By these violent elements, who basically used it uh, to bivouac as they waged attacks on, you know, police outside. Uh, the then there was a uh, community healthcare center, basically a reproductive healthcare center and gynecological clinic that served the community again with free healthcare, completely ransacked because the quote-unquote students who were celebrated in U.S. media, um, most of whom went to a private more upscale university called the University of Central America, where the uh, regime change arm of the US government, the National Endowment for Democracy, carries out its training programs. Uh, they ransacked the place. It was just absolutely destroyed. Um, and it really showed the kind of entitlement of these students. I was on campus, escorted onto campus by um, leaders of the student union, and they emphasized to me that this, what they had witnessed there was a class war. So really, uh, what, what, what I saw in the plaza with the celebration of the 40th anniversary of the defeat of Samosa was also kind of a consolidation of the victory of, um, not just the government, but the people who'd benefited from its policies, uh, over this kind of terror. And what they emphasized is that, you know, Seeing half a million people there, it means we're not going to go back to a dictatorship where we have to live in fear and we have to have everything taken away from us again. But they experienced that fear um, through large parts of the country uh, last year. And there's no way that U.S. corporate media is going to tell this story. So I'm currently working on a documentary. I took a lot of footage uh, with our colleague Thomas Hedges. And you know we're going to have it out by the end of the year to show the other side of the story. You know I also spoke to Daniel Ortega last year, and we, along with Ben Norton, had a, a second interview with him, and his wife Rosario Murillo, who is the vice president um, of Nicaragua and s- oversees the day-to-day communication strategy of the government. Yet at the same time, is rarely. Uh, ever interviewed in English media. So I thought that was a really interesting exchange. And their mood was dramatically different than um, last year when Ortega kind of emerged out of nowhere. Um, He hadn't given interviews to foreign press uh, for 11 years and he started making the rounds. And I think I was the second or third interview he had. So, you know, it was a much more casual setting. They were much more confident. Uh, They had had a meeting uh, the day before, with Javad Zarif of Iran, who is also faced a um, U.S. economic attack, and what Ortega emphasized is, and it's a language that I hadn't heard him speak before, is the desire for a multipolar world to find other allies um, besides the U.S. Um, to protect his country, to insulate his country from the impact of new sanctions, which have been levied in the form of the Nika Act, and you know just since we just had a conversation about Venezuela, there's an interesting contrast between Nicaragua and Venezuela, which is that Nicaragua has almost total food sovereignty. It produces most of its food locally, whereas Venezuela, because it's been its economy has been structured around um, the oil industry, doesn't have the same kind of rural food production base. So Nicaraguans um, that I spoke to were much more confident about their ability to resist the impact of sanctions. At the same time, uh, Ortega's made many more concessions than Maduro has. He's been able to, but many of the people who participated in violence during last year's coup attempt have been let out under pressure from the Organization of American States and the U.S. And that's part of uh, the that's the other side of Ortega's government attempting to get out from under U.S. sanctions.
0: So Max, finally, I want to ask you about the contrast between uh, the congressional oversight of what the Trump administration is doing in Latin America today, in places like Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba, and contrast that to what was happening in the 1980s. You mentioned that there was the NICA Act imposing these sanctions on Nicaragua. Passed pretty recently, and as I understand it, it was passed with overwhelming, if not unanimous, support in Congress. Uh, imposing these sanctions on Nicaragua. Now, comparing that to the 1980s, obviously there was some support from the Democrats uh, for the Reagan administration's terror war in Nicaragua. But there was some pushback, too. There was some efforts to cut off funding for the Contra war after it got out of hand. And I'm wondering if you can contrast just the congressional climate back then to what we're seeing today when it comes to anybody in Congress willing to impose constraints on what the Trump administration is now doing in places like Nicaragua.
1: Yeah, the Act was passed actually a few months ago after a years long lobbying campaign by the Miami lobby um, and by the Nicaraguan opposition. And it's, uh, I think it's just part of an escalating economic attack. It was passed unanimously. There was no opposition in Congress. This was before the squad was seated in Congress. So we don't know how they would have performed, uh, whether Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would have spoken up. But really, there's just very few people in Congress who say anything about the assault on Nicaragua. Uh, The disinformation campaign has become much more successful. And, you know, it's carried out by the MRS in many spaces, the movement for the renovation of Sandinismo, which plays it, you know, kind of. Presents itself as, you know, the critical Sandinistas who are the real authentic voices of Sandinismo against the, you know, corrupt dictatorship of Ortega Murillo. But if you actually scratch the surface, as I did, look at WikiLeaks cables. This is a party that's substantially supported by the U.S. government and its regime change arm. Um, You know, they took hundreds of thousands of dollars of electoral support from the International Republican Institute run by John McCain. Their leadership who, you know, present themselves as these progressive feminists have actually come to the U.S. to lobby for the NECA Act and met with right wingers like Ileana ross leighton But they still have managed to win people over, um, like uh, critics of U.S. empire, like Stephen Kinzer, are very friendly to the to the MRS. So I think the disinformation campaign is much stronger than it was in the 1980s when we actually saw congressional Democrats come together and pass the Boland Amendment um, specifically to put pressure on Reagan and to limit his ability to wage covert war by forcing the executive to sign off on any covert activity. Um, We won't we, we don't see any intelligence reform passing through the Democrats, the last thing I remember, um, the last attempt I remember to reform the uh, covert activities or or to to limit the covert activities of the military intelligence apparatus was Tulsi Gabbard's uh, Stop Arming Terrorist Act, which she introduced in Congress after returning from Syria. And the whole point of this was to prevent the House Appropriations Committee, which oversees the black budget of the CIA from allocating more taxpayer money to give to pay for weapons to groups that are affiliated with or are actually local affiliates of Al Qaeda, the organization responsible for 9-11. And this should have been greeted by both parties as a breath of fresh air. Finally, we're going to stop arming Al Qaeda. We're going to stop arming terrorists. Instead, Tulsi Gabbard was demonized across the board. She was attacked on CNN. She was attacked in the Washington Post. Those attacks continue today through the Kamala Harris campaign. And I think she picked up a total of 13 co-sponsors on that bill. I remember going to the press conference and being among maybe three or four reporters there, one of whom was from. Uh, you know, I, I think the Voice of America, who is criticizing Tulsi Gabbard, so this is the this is the place, this is the place we're in, where there's very little discussion of sanctions as a lethal act of warfare, and covert activity is something that is either shrugged at by progressive members of Congress, or, you know, is something welcomed by both parties, uh, and there should be some attempt. I think, by the organization of American states to acknowledge one of the greatest um, lies of the coup last year in Nicaragua, which we reported on at the gray zone. And I hope everyone pays close attention to this, because when you try to debate the coup in Nicaragua, people from the opposition or who supported regime change will come at you with statistics that 350 people were killed by Ortega and they were protesters. Maybe 400 people were killed by Ortega. Some will say 500 people were killed because that's the official number of the human rights arm of the Organization of American States. The reality was that maybe 250 people were killed. Many of them were actually Sandinistas or were police officers. Uh, And those who were on the opposition side, many of them were armed and were involved in violence, but there's a there's an even more uh, outrageous story here, which is that the Organization of American States relied for its statistics, not on any independent investigation it did, but on a US funded Nicaraguan quote unquote human rights group called the Nicaraguan Association for Human Rights, ANPDH in Spanish, which was created in the 1980s by the Reagan administration and the National Endowment for Democracy to report on the human rights abuses of the Sandinistas and to paint the Contras as the victims of this big, evil, Soviet-backed uh, you know, human rights violation. And recently, completely under the radar of international press, especially of English language, Anglo media, the board of directors of the Nicaraguan Association for Human Rights came out, these are staunch opponents of Ortega, and declared that their director, Alvaro Leva, had not only stolen half a million dollars provided to his human rights group by the US government, in other words, our taxpayer money, just to line his pockets, and that he fabricated and exaggerated death tolls in order to justify that money. This is a giant scandal. And the Organization of American States has had nothing to say about it, nor have all the people in Congress who used these bogus numbers to justify the NECA Act. So here we have the explosion of one of the biggest pieces of the disinformation campaign
0: against Nicaragua, and the silence is completely deafening. We'll leave it there for now, uh, but come back and talk about Honduras. Max Blumenthal, senior editor of The Gray Zone, also author of many books, including The Management of Savagery. Thank you. Thank you.